The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. And Allison Davis of The Cut. Hey. Hi, David. Today we're going to be talking about and to the legendary sex therapist, Dr. Ruth. Is it cruel to comment on how long she's been old? It's like, as long as I've been alive, she seemed like <laughs> ancient, right? Yeah, she's always been old, yes. Yeah, but she's been like consistently old. The she's same been, old. Like, she's same like old. ageless old, right. you know? She's also got a new book out, uh, and Maureen talked to her about it, along with some things she said in promoting the book about sexual consent and campus sexual assault. And we're also going to be talking about how little millennials are actually fucking, despite everything we're told all the time about them. On to our first topic, Dr. Ruth Westheimer. The amazing tiny Dr. Ruth has a new book out. It's called The Doctor Is In. Maureen, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit more about it. But first, and before we get to your interview, too, I wanted to ask both of you guys about what you think of Dr. Ruth. She's such a weird figure in our culture and has been for such a long time, especially for people like us who grew up in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I guess it was like middle school and people would be like quoting, this is what I learned from Dr. Ruth. They're like, did you uh-huh. hear this from Dr. Ruth? And I was like, I don't really know what orgasms are. I'm 11. And were you immediately like, this woman is adorable and weird? Yes. I was like, very cute. I don't know how much I have to learn from her quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> she reminds me of my grandmother in a weird way. I remember seeing her on the TV and the disconnect of seeing a sort of like great aunt figure talking about sex was sort of like cognitively disturbing to me. And so I don't think I actually absorbed much of her advice until much later. I'm not sure I've ever looked to her for practical advice on sex, though. I think I was very much the locker room inappropriate shit (laughs) learner as opposed to the enlightened learners that Allison hung out with at age 11. Oh, yes. And did she have like a show or a book? What made her famous? Do you know? She started out in 1981. She launched a radio show. She initially thought it would just be talking about topics, but her producers convinced her to take call-ins from listeners who then would ask her questions and she would dole out advice and wisdom. She was one of the early people that insisted on, you know, discussing the female orgasm and the importance of the clitoris for making that happen. And that's sort of like been her great calling card. (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting to think of her as an 80s figure because that's all after the sexual revolution. So it shouldn't have seemed so wild that a woman was able to talk so openly about sex and about orgasms. But I guess because of who she is and the way she is, everybody still got sort of titillated. Yeah, I think that it's sort of that she was scientific about everything and just very, like, this is the way the body works. But she always was a little bit of a square in that she's always believed in monogamy. She's always, she's never liked casual sex and she remains sort of against that concept. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, so the fascinating thing about Dr. Ruth, which some people know and some do not, is that she had this crazy life history that when she was 10 years old, her father was taken away by the Nazis. They lived in Frankfurt and were Jews. And so because of that, she was qualified to take what was called a kinder transport train to Switzerland, where she was enrolled in a Swiss boarding school. So at age 10, she basically was taken away from her family, goes to Switzerland with all these other Jewish children, 
over the years, the letters from her family sort of slowed down and then stopped coming. And there are all these kids who didn't know whether their families were alive or not. So after that, um, it turns out she's the only living member of her family. She moves to Israel. She lives on a kibbutz for a while. She ends up in New York. So she writes about this in the book, and then she combines it with sort of self-help and her beliefs about happiness and finding yourself. The subtitle, it's The Doctor is in, Dr. Ruth on Love, Life, and Joie de Vivre, which she believes in very firmly. It's not just a Holocaust memoir, right? It's also like a sex self-help right. book. Like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of funny hybrid. <laughs> it's a very unusual hybrid. But, I mean, that's sort of just the truth of her life, is that there are these horrible things in her background, and yet she actually draws a direct line between the way she dealt with losing her family by falling in love in some way. She says starting from age 12, she had boyfriends, and it was really important to her to build bonds with people. And she says this is why she's obsessed with love and why she's obsessed with building relationships. So maybe we should listen to that segment now. Yeah. Yeah. This experience of having been an orphan at the age of 10 and a half, I've never forgotten that because the early socialization, the early years of my life, in a loving family, only child. I had a couple of dollhouses. I had a grandmother who had nothing else to do but take care of me. So these early experiences were very important. And my father was very, very interested in education. He would have loved to see me put on that doctoral gown at Columbia University's Teachers College. Very proud. In the Jewish tradition, sex has never been a sin. Sex has always been an obligation of a husband to a wife on Friday nights. And I did a book with an Orthodox Jewish writer, Heavenly Sex, Sexuality in the Jewish Tradition. I talked (laughs) openly about orgasm, about erection, about ejaculation, about premature ejaculation. But I've mm-hmm. always been a square saying the best way to have sex is in a relationship. I never said you have to be married. I never, I said gay people have to be respected like I give respect to anybody. I was fortunate in that, that even in the children's home, I had mm-hmm. a boyfriend. How important it was as an orphan at the age of 12 to be caressed and to be kissed and to know that there's somebody who really deeply cared about me. In promoting this book, she was asked about campus rape and all of the activity around sexual assault on campus these days. And she said a couple of things that made a lot of people really uncomfortable and upset. Maureen, did you want to read that quote maybe? Sure. Um, And she didn't say this to me. She said this um, during an interview that happened, I believe, two days before I actually spoke to her. The quote was, I am very worried about college campuses saying that a woman and a man, or two men or two women, but I talk right now about women and men, can be in bed together, and at one time naked, and at one time he or she, most of the time they think she, can say, I changed my mind. No such thing is possible. In the Talmud, in the Jewish tradition, it says when that part of the male anatomy is aroused and there's an erection, the brain flies out of that. And we have to take very seriously, so I don't agree with that. Um, And so what she was saying, as she later clarified on Twitter, was that 
When it comes to issues of consent, she thinks that by the time you're already naked in bed and aroused, it's too late for that. She says, I, you know, I think rape is terrible, but I think people shouldn't get naked together unless they know they want to have sex. And as a lot of people point out, that would suggest a woman isn't allowed to change her mind. Or say certain things are okay and other things are Yeah, not. exactly. Yeah. To define what should happen once they're naked in bed together. I asked her that and she basically just said, yeah, I'm sticking with it. That's... I believe exactly that. No regrets. The second portion of the interview that we sort of pulled out is about her discussing that and about her sort of irritation with casual sex. I don't believe that people should be in bed naked without having a relationship and Mm -hmm. without having an understanding of what is going to happen. Most Mm -hmm. people would like to have a relationship. I believe that the best intimate sexual relationship is when there is a kind of a relationship and an understanding. My core uh, and my beliefs are still very much old-fashioned and believing that most people, not everybody, want to have a person in their life who smiles when they walk into the room. It's interesting that, you know, she seems to really think that good sex is only possible in a good relationship. Right. And it's also interesting considering she describes this, to her, quite appealing setup where a man is obligated to have sex with his wife, like, on Friday night, which seems to me actually, like, really dreary. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, we had that whole conversation about sex out of obligation, not really. Yeah, that obligatory sex does not turn out that hot for people. Right. Not very satisfying. I mean... I I love Dr. Ruth as kind of like the character that she is. Judging by these comments and this conversation we're having, it's just like, how relevant is she? Well, it seems really like she's almost more of a marriage counselor who specializes in sex than really like a sex counselor. She doesn't have a ton of advice for, you know, casual sex or... Or Tinder. (laughs) You know what? She has a lot of advice about masturbation. That is true. She believes very strongly that if you're aroused, you don't need to do it with a partner. You need to take charge of your own sexuality. But she doesn't have a lot of advice for what happens in between masturbation and a committed relationship, which is (laughs) where, like, my entire sexual life exists. (laughs) So So our only two options, basically, are marriage or, like, self, self self-sex. Yeah. And so in that sense, I guess my entire sex life has not been applicable to Dr. Ruth's advice. Don't ask Dr. Ruth about your love life, Um, And yet I still found her book very stirring. So we've been talking about Dr. Ruth, her new book, The Doctor Is In, and her sort of problematic comments about consent. You can read Maureen's full interview with her on The Cut. And now let's move on to our second subject, completely sexless millennials. (laughs) Um, Maureen, for months now, I think you've been obsessed with this study showing that millennials don't fuck as much as their parents did. I know, contrary to what we hear from Dr. Ruth <laughs> and the the casual sex epidemic. Everything you hear is like millennials fucking all the time, you know, dating mm. apps like left and right. Before we talk about this, some new news that's come out to sort of corroborate that story, do you want to tell us a little bit about the original study that got you so interested? Right. So there was a study in um, the Archives of Sexual Behavior. What they did is they looked at 33,000 people and the collective number of sex partners they had and their age. And they used these sort of complicated statistical models to estimate out how many partners millennials will have by the time they reach middle age. So they're able to compare the amount of sex partners that our parents have versus how many we will probably have when we're our parents' age. 
They found that baby boomers are likely, most likely to have 10 or 11 partners by the time they're the age they are now. And by the time millennials are on that age, they'll have an average of eight partners only. Do they have any theories about why that might be, why there would be a drop? First, I want to say I find both of those numbers shockingly low. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just like really slutty. Well, it's an average. Yeah. Yeah. Well, several people point out that this is a generation that before they ever had sex, they were learning about HIV and AIDS, and they sort of preach a lot of caution around sex. These are all sort of self-reported numbers too. And so it sounds like people are mostly reporting about penis and vagina sex or penis in something sex, basically, <laughs> right? right? As opposed to like blowjobs and the sort of pantheon of sexual activity that I think people do a lot of now that were sort of not discussed so openly until, you know, like post-Clinton scandal. The researchers sort of made some guesses. They were saying maybe when it's not so taboo, it becomes, you know, less hot and essential somehow in order to be doing it. What they do point out is that millennials consistently have a much higher rate of saying that they are totally cool with premarital sex. There's nothing wrong with it than previous generations, and yet they are just having less sex. I really do think it's harder to get laid now than our parents' generation. Why? Um, I know that, like, Tinder is supposed to make it so easy, but, like, how many conversations do you have on Tinder that end in, like, a no meetup or, like, a no connection in real life? So you would be talking to 20 people and you meet one of them doesn't mean you're going to, like, the numbers aren't in your favor there in terms whereas, of dating. Whereas previously you're just, like, in the lifeboat and there was only yeah. two people in the world right, so and you, you just, just had to do it. it. <laughs> Or you just you just felt so confident that if you were talking to someone, you could actually talk them right, into like bed. You kind of knew how to seal the deal yeah. because you were better at speaking to people in person, I suppose. Maureen, you also flagged um, a study that came out, I think, this past week that 21% of Harvard students actually graduated as virgins, which made me really sad. <laughs> and not just for the obvious reason, but also because I think that those people probably think that they're like at most one of like a 3% group. Yeah, they're probably like they actually so more lonely, lonely than they yeah. were. There are more of you out there. <laughs> Although yeah. that's sad too. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can all have sex with each other, right? And yeah. then there'll be none of you. Have a mixer, guys. <laughs> and then the craziest mixer. part of it is that they're actually that number is lower than it is for the population at large, which yeah. means college graduates, one in every four college graduates, basically are virgins. Wow. Pretty much. So they, uh, that was surprising to me. And I think when when that the Harvard Crimson sort of releases their annual senior survey every year, it's been pretty consistent that like one in four and everybody laughs at the Harvard nerds. But the most recent data we have from the CDC, which dates 2008, so it's a little old, suggests that from the ages of 20 to 24, 27 percent of the general population reported being virgins. So that's actually even a little bit higher than the Harvard rate. And do we think these are people who are like saving themselves or is it people who just can't get laid? As we've gotten better at talking about sex and about, you know, that it's perfectly okay to want sex, we've also started to acknowledge that it's okay to not want sex. I mean, in some ways, I think that was some of the Dr. Ruth dilemma is that she was so focused on a time when convincing everybody that it is okay to say yes to sex and it's okay to say, yes, I like that and I want to like it was a big deal that now the sort of political battle has moved on a little bit to what happens when no is said and that it's okay to want to say no and it's okay to want to do a little bit and then say no at a later point. What you're saying like ex expresses that people have a lot uh, actually healthier attitudes towards sex and sexual relationships that they can say no or like have a better knowledge of when they want sex and when they don't. But my question is if you enter the world as like a 20 year old, 21 year old or 22 year old, 
how healthy is your relationship really to sex if you've never had it? And all of a sudden you're in this kind of like free for all where, I don't know, when you had sex in college, it was so protected. Like you knew kind of who you were sleeping with and you knew it'd be like bad dorm room sex or whatever. But you're out in the real world and all of a sudden you're navigating dating with people who are not like in your dorm room. Wouldn't that kind of make you unprepared in a way to have a healthy sexual relationship? Yeah, this is part of the preparedness you need for your adult life. Yeah, like, sex. Like learn yeah. how to budget, learn how to have a healthy sexual relationship. I remember a friend who graduated virgin, and then there was a moment that she's like, "Oh my god, what am I gonna do with this? Like nobody, you know." That's what college a, is for. Yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah. That she's like, Everybody's... and I remember her that she was a virgin to like middle to late twenties, I think. And she's like, "Well, like every passing year, it becomes almost like a bigger deal having to totally. lose it." And you know, it's like it's more of a oh, you are when she tells people. They, and also um, the people who probably want to fuck her are, like, not the healthiest sexual right. beings either. Yeah. In the end, yeah. she just <laughs> didn't tell the guy and just did it, actually. I just like to think younger millennials are, like, too focused on trying to save the world, right? That's what Harvard students are doing. They're trying to save the world and start the next big startup, and that's why they're not having sex. It's well, the improvement of the society, really. This leads me to the other article that I loved. Julianne Smolinski for GQ wrote an article called In Defense of the Sex Drought based on this story about millennial sex. She says that it's okay that to be having less sex because she notes, first of all, modern sex carries the simmering terror of bumps, secretions, and death. Sure, it means we're all smarter <laughs> about sex and safer. It also means that unlike mom and dad, we're less likely to writhe around in sex piles soundtracked by Buffalo Springfield. And then you add the internet. It's like interesting parents she had. Yes. Yeah, right? All of a sudden I'm just fascinated with her parents. Terrible sex playlist. (laughs) (laughs) And then you add the internet. There's porn everywhere, always, with no risk of infection or embarrassment so long as you can work in incognito mode. The internet has also granted us sweet excuses to stay home and, like, play Minecraft while scarfing Taco Bell Grande scrambler burritos and sexting. Point is, we're pretty damn sexed up even when we're not having sex. Then you add the in the era of Tinder and oversharing, and we're more easily able to determine who's actually worth having sex with beforehand, rather than the trial by error method of our parents. How true do you think that last point is? That you can you can now tell beforehand whether someone's worth screwing? No. Nope. Because I've had about... some real <laughs> mistakes in judgment, both <laughs> yeah. directions. It's there are pleasant about, surprises, like, and there are in-person chemistry. Like yeah. you, you know, you can't really tell from a sex. Like, people can be champion sexers and crappy in the sack or, like, mute on sexting and really great in bed. You just can't tell. And sometimes you can have great chemistry, but then you actually do it and things are just, like, bleh. Yeah. Or maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm just really bad in bed. I don't know. (laughs) But I do think the idea of being really sexed up but not having sex is sort of the modern (laughs) experience in some ways. Um, The idea of if we're not having as much sex as our parents, I do think we're very sexually minded and explicit and like aware all the time even if we aren't actually doing it yeah it's like the that saying like the quiet ones are the ones you have to worry about the fact that we're all talking about sex all the time um or like engaging in some mode of trying to get it like means that we're all just too loud like we're not gonna we're not the ones that are having sex so by that logic the three of us are probably all we're you know 30 year old virgins right <laughs> damn it <laughs> So we've been talking about how little millennials uh, have sex. And that's it for Sex Labs. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. For Allison Davis and Maureen O'Connor, I'm David Wallace-Wells. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>